Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the CX Cast. I am your co-host, Angelina Jenis, joined by co-host Andrew Hogan. Hey, Andrew. Hello, everyone. Hi. We're going to turn the tables today because we are talking about a couple of reports that I wrote for Forrester, along with my colleague, Nick Monroe, on the Future of Work team. They're both about culture. One is the characteristics of culture, and one is about culture change. And Andrew, I appreciate you taking the lead and asking the questions today. We're going to pretend that I am a guest here and I didn't know you wanted this interview, even though it was kind of my idea. Happy to do it. Happy to to interview you about some great research that you've done. And uh, we'll put the links in there for folks so they can read those reports. I think probably the best place to start is a stat that really jumped out at me. I'm just going to read it. Well, 79% of executive information workers report being satisfied with the social and cultural environment of their work. Just 57% of individual information workers feel the same way. That is a big gap. That is a 20 plus percent gap between executives and their satisfaction with the environment of their work and individual information workers. Angelina, were you as surprised by that as I was? Well, I'm not sure how surprised I was having done some interviews and understanding how different culture can be experienced by executives versus, you know, people like you and me. We tend to have our own perceptions of culture and we interpret cultural artifacts, which I can define for our audience differently. We have express our culture through different behaviors than executives. So individual workers will tend to be less satisfied because they have less control over how that culture manifests. And executives often have a nicer view of the culture. They are often treated better, not surprisingly. And they may even have better history of the culture in their minds that they are holding on to that may not even be the reality anymore. So you're talking about the perceptions of executives, their level of control. And I mean, to me, for our listeners, this seems like a real call to action for um, those who are executives, those who can influence executives to really point out that, you know, it's they're probably not seeing the same world that their the individual workers that work for them are seeing. Right. Culture is subjective, but the purpose of writing these reports was actually to find a place of objectivity so that we can look at our culture and based on where we are trying to go and what our purpose is, figure out how to get there and bring everyone along on the journey. So let's talk about that. Culture is a pretty nebulous term. What does it mean? People kind of just throw it out there. It's in all kinds of pithy business sayings. What is culture? How have you sort of structured it and defined it so that you can make it, as you said, more objective? Culture is our shared purpose. So it's not stated purpose, it's shared purpose. Uh, Why we all agree that it's great to show up to work every day. It's the rituals that we come together to do, the behaviors that we have in common. So we talk about behavioral norms because it's this level above our individual behaviors that start to show the commonalities like how we collaborate, how we show we care for each other, 
how we are ethical. And then it's also things like artifacts, which are the proof of culture. If you imagine a stranger walking into your organization or joining a Zoom meeting, what would they be able to see that would indicate the culture? It could be a headquarters, a sculpture in a headquarters. It could be the time of day that we tend to meet as a team. So there's a lot of indications of culture and different characteristics of culture, artifacts, rituals, shared behaviors that restate our shared purpose. So a virtual background would be an artifact? Yes, that's actually a great artifact and a new one that is emerging we see, you know, more creative actual backgrounds because we see each other's homes and our choice to have a virtual background can also indicate how comfortable we are sharing our homes in our company culture. And then also having a shared background, maybe we have a certain degree of business casual that we like to uphold by using virtual backgrounds. I'd like the listeners to know that Angelina and I can both see each other's backgrounds right now. So we are clearly very comfortable in this interview. Love the shiplap. <laughs> um, so what isn't culture, right? You talked about shared purpose. You talked about norms, what people expect out of their colleagues. You talked about rituals and artifacts, and we'll get into those. But what what isn't? What are some conceptions of culture that are just not right? There are quite a few things, first of all, that we think are culture, but we are just stating. So stated values that the individuals don't actually live by are not culture. That's easy to identify. There's also physical elements or artifacts that actually aren't part of our culture. If you think of an abandoned headquarters right now that no one really wants to go back to, the culture has moved on from there. It's become something else. So what we are describing as our culture can no longer include that building. So it's really not the things that we share. It's the things that individuals value. And sometimes executives value them. So they seem like they're part of the culture, but they aren't actually in practice part of that culture. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a profound statement. These, you know, huge investments in buildings right now are not valued in the same way by individual workers. And you're essentially saying that there's been a cultural shift in the artifacts that are important in some places of employment where those are not worth the money. Yeah. A great example. REI famously sold the headquarters that they custom built. And that was a decision based on the fact that it was not part of their culture. And when they all had to go virtual, they really realized that people want to be outside and to be outside, they need to be commuting close to home. So satellite offices instead of one big headquarters is going to resonate more with them. And having the option to not commute to a satellite office is also going to resonate with them. Their culture is all about sharing with each other outdoors experiences. The stat I shared earlier, 79% of executive information workers feeling satisfied versus 57% of individual workers feeling satisfied. That's that's information workers. That's you know primarily office and many of those have probably gone virtual. How should we think about this as different for other kinds of workplaces that are maybe you know still in person or don't have the the option of going virtual, as well as some that they've been asked to come back in and work from an office environment. How should we think about this? There's still a place for culture everywhere, 
virtual, in person, on the front lines, in the warehouse. There is even a place for culture for individuals that are, you know, going into people's homes to do work and largely working on their own and then communicating back to headquarters. The artifacts become increasingly important there. The rituals become increasingly important because we have to think about how that individual throughout their daily journey is expected to interact with an organization and what they derive meaning from in those interactions. Some interactions are not meaningful. You're having me fill out a checklist. I'm walking around the warehouse, getting the job done. So how do we interject culture there? Well, what about having separate break rooms for employees versus leaders? We've seen in certain studies that employees really are looking for a culture where they can be comfortable and relaxed when they have these physical, high stress, high stress on the body sorts of jobs. So to go to a break room and have some senior leader sitting there asking you, how's your day going, is not conducive to a strong culture. So I guess my point is, Culture is everywhere. A healthy culture has to be manufactured in a lot of ways based on what the employees want and how they can thrive. And we have to be really thoughtful and maybe do some journey mapping to make sure that we are not overlooking those opportunities for strong culture. So you mentioned journey mapping and you mentioned um, you know, a particular example that I could imagine, you know, uh, I guess that's a, a ritual, an artifact of a, a shared break room. I don't know which of yeah, those. It, okay. Both. Both. All right. You mentioned those things. And I think that would probably be well-meaning. Like we should bring these groups of people together so we share information and, you know, there's more empathy maybe between the two groups. How should you go about making a new ritual? How, how should you go about creating a new artifact if you wanted to, you know, change something about your culture. Yeah. And let me define ritual and artifact. They do overlap. Rituals are recurring and they bring us together. Artifacts, a meeting can be both a ritual and an artifact. I'll give you an example. If we meet every Tuesday at noon, we are obviously having a ritual as a team meeting for the CX research team. It's also an artifact because we are deciding to meet during the lunch hour. So we are saying something about our culture, about being comfortable eating in front of each other, about dedicating that time when we know it's more likely for everyone to feel and be able to be included. So when you're designing new rituals or artifacts, you have to consider all of those dimensions, time, space, emotion. And when you're introducing that, you have to think what is going to be the shared and accepted experience that aligns with our purpose. So it can't be, again, just one person's vision or one person's preferred way of working or one person's expression of the culture. It has to be something that resonates with all of the people you're trying to bring together. And in the case of, let's say, a frontline worker in a retail store, that ritual or artifact could be a daily stand-up in the morning where everyone talks about a new challenge that they've solved for and feels supportive with each other and feels like there's an opportunity for them to share their own ideas. And those sorts of moments really change not just the culture, but also how you do business and how successful you are with customers. So that's when we see the benefits of culture come to life. 
what I heard from you there is that someone might have an idea to change the culture, but that alone and implementing that idea probably isn't the best way to go about doing it. What, what would be a better approach for people listening who say, you know, oh, I'm, I'm hearing some things that I want to try to implement. How should they go about doing that? In our report on culture change that we wrote, uh, Nick and I, we spent a good chunk of that report on a case study from Mars. You may know them from the candy. They actually do really well with pet supplies and pet care. Their tactic to take on culture change was to include employees every step of the way, to get their take, to build employees' voice into the new culture. So new committees that actually had decision-making power, new creative outlets that weren't there before. And so in order to change the culture, the first thing you have to do is understand it, understand who are these people, and then engage those people that you now better understand. It is a slower process, I think, than people would like because they'd love to just solve their culture issues that they're encountering as they encounter them. But it is actually more meaningful change rather than sort of a false change or a temporary change. The difference being the top down helps you go fast. You know, the singular person, singular vision makes you go fast, but then maybe it doesn't stick or maybe it's sort of the the letter of the law, not the spirit where people do the stand up but they're not really doing the stand-up. Totally agree with that. I think the power is in the people and the leadership really just paves the way for it and sets the example. You mentioned it offhand earlier, employee journey mapping. Is that the best tool to use to sort of find the right places for these things? Are there other tools that folks should use? I think journey mapping is a great tool if we are new to observing and attempting to change culture. And I'll tell you why. The field of anthropology is very established. There are people with PhDs in it. Um, Yes, you can bring in a third party anthropologist to come in and actually do this correctly and study your culture and make recommendations for change. But that wasn't really the premise of these reports. This was how do we get started? How do we understand what our culture is? How do we think about the change? So tools like journey mapping are really our structure to make sure that we are covering all our bases. Okay, here is what a specific team goes through in a day, in a month, in a year. Let's have a, you know, a visual here that helps us understand the rituals, the artifacts, the behavioral norms, and then look, take a step back and look at this and say, what is, how does this align with our shared purpose? We need that structure because we are not anthropologists. We are just trying to do the right work for our employees and for our environment. And any sort of structure you can place on this is immensely helpful. I will say, however, another thing that we are working on at Forrester is a culture tool that helps you go through this journey and thinks about measurement as another guide. So if you understand the aspects of your culture, the values that are most important, and you ask your employees about those values and you ask your leaders about those values and you measure against that, that is yet another structure we can put in place to understand and improve our culture. So you're describing journey mapping as sort of a horizontal tool and then kind of a more vertical tool and way of thinking about that is the purpose, the norms, the rituals, the artifacts, 
that you know you encounter along that journey. Angelina, this has been fantastic. I've learned a lot about culture actually in ways of of thinking about it. I think our listeners if they read these reports, will also learn even more. You have many more details and examples. Thanks for letting me interview you. Thank you. And definitely for those listening who have great culture change stories and want to reach out, you can find me on LinkedIn and send me a message. I'm always happy to get more case studies. But thanks, Andrew, for the awesome questions and looking forward to next time.